Lord, our, our life comes from you. You're the God who has called us. You're the God who has made us willing to respond to you. You breathed life into us. You made us willing. And oh, Father, thank you for your powerful, sovereign grace that now uses this word. Father, help me to be a servant of the word today. Help me to not get in the way. Help me to not overwhelm the sermon with myself. Help me not to preach myself, but Christ. And so, Lord, we are now anticipating. We, we know you are good, and we know you're good to your people. And so be with us now as we explore this remarkable, remarkable passage of Scripture. Make it not only real to us, but make its binding authority beautiful to us, delightful to us. Make us willing to respond to you and to respond to your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we are going to talk about, as we usually do, uh, about the gospel. And when you think about the gospel, this is how we get oriented to everything in the Christian life. The gospel, I think there's a fly flying around here. Um, the gospel is how we find our orientation to the Christian life. It's, it's sort of how we find our way. One time I was talking to a, a, an individual behind a counter at a, at a gift shop in Estes Park, uh, Colorado, and, and I asked, asked the individual, what's the wackiest thing you've ever been asked uh, you know, by a tourist? And, um, well, he said, well, we've actually had people come here, point to the mountains, and ask, what is that white stuff up there on, on the mountains? Um, now, it makes sense. Maybe perhaps someone's never seen snow before. But the more, more unusual one was also someone was pretty sure they had their geography correct, and they asked at this gift shop. They said, now, the Pacific Ocean is just over those mountains, right? Now, it is not just over those mountains. Uh, it's a little further out, okay? One time I was throwing a baseball with a little boy in Nebraska. We visited one of Marianne's great uncles and throwing a baseball out there a hot summer day. And this little boy, I was telling him that I was from California at the time. I, I'm always from California, I guess, so. Um, and he said to me, as we're throwing the ball, he says, well, I used to have a teacher who was from the state on the other side of California. And I thought, wow, this kid must know where Hawaii is. Or I don't know my map very well. So it's surprising to me that Christians don't have a way of orienting themselves to the Christian life. We get busy. We like activity. We, we like to do things. And, and in the church, we have all kinds of subjects and topics, right? There's lots of topics that could be talked about. But it is remarkable in our day, uh, the people who have been involved in perhaps an evangelical church, a Bible teaching church, but they don't know how to orient themselves. They don't know where they are 
in the Christian life where it starts? What's the epicenter? What, what, is, what is the Christian life? Or we could say, what is the gospel? And now I'm leading to the next question. What is justification? Now, justification is a Bible word. And I want to encourage you that the Christian faith is not something that we understand intuitively. It's like a new language. And so justification, if it's a new word for you, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. Now, justification, if it's a fuzzy word to you, I'm glad you're here as well. And if you really have justification down, I'm going to speak to you as well, because let's see if justification impacts your emotions. Let's see if it impacts your daily life. Now, I know you might get an A on a quiz about what justification is. That's for seminary. That's for school. What about life? And so we go to the doctrine of justification. Now, the Apostle Paul can't wait to tell the Romans about the gospel. And you see that in verse 16 and 17. You see this is his first salvo, the first explanation. You can see it right there if you have your worship folder out there or your Bibles. The Apostle Paul can't wait, and he tells them, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe there was some rumor going on. You always are interested. Why would he, why would he suddenly say this? Perhaps somehow there had been some rumor going on that in some way Paul had backed away from the gospel or something like that. Possible. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's how the, the gospel unfolded. It, of course, started in Jerusalem and, and continued to go to synagogues where Jews would worship. And, of course, the gospel, the apostles brought the, brought the gospel to, to Jews, and they used their knowledge of the Old Testament to bridge with the Jews what they understood about the Old Testament, and they would connect that with Christ. And then, of course, it moves out into non-Jewish territory, where we call that the Gentile territory. To the Jew first, and to the, also to the Greek. Now, why is he excited about the gospel? Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk. 2 verse 4. So Paul cannot wait to, to talk about the gospel. And what he's beginning to describe here, though not in very much detail, look in verse 17, he's beginning to describe what we need. What we need. We need righteousness. We don't have what we need to have. We don't have righteousness. Now, this is remarkable because God in his grace has provided what we don't have. He's provided righteousness. This is why, and we'll describe what righteousness is, this is why the Apostle Paul is so excited and takes so many risks with his life because he knows the gospel is what brings righteousness. Paul feels obligated to Jews and Greeks and every person to bring about knowledge or preaching of this gospel. He feels obligated. He says, I'm eager to preach, verse 15. And he feels obligated. He risks, he travels, 
He engages, he seeks out, he pursues in order to preach this gospel. And this gospel provides what we do not have. It provides righteousness. The Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession states about the doctrine of justification, that's what we're really talking about, which is the gospel. The Shorter Catechism, question 33, here it is in a very succinct answer. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. A couple of fancy words there, imputed, we don't talk like that normally. But we are accepted as righteous because God has worked, the Father has worked a transaction with the Son. And the Son has said, Father, I will I will be the obedient Adam, the second Adam. I will be the man on earth responding to your very will, and I will walk in obedience. And I will present my body as an atonement for their sins. So the whole of Jesus' life, his whole obedience, and his death represents his work for sinners. And then God accepts us as we express faith alone in his Son for us. And what is given to us, what is imputed to us, what is given to us is the righteousness of Jesus covering us, making us beautiful, making us an expression of his, of his delight to us, making us as though we have fulfilled the whole of God's law. Shake off your guilty fears. This is what grips hymn writers in history. We've got a gospel to tell. We're no longer under the law and its condemnation. We have been brought out from underneath the law's condemnation through the work of Jesus, and it's received by the mouth of the soul, as it were, by faith. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, what we are doing in this exchange, in that moment of faith, in that moment of genuine trust, what we're doing is we're turning away from all other forms of righteousness. We're turning away from what was gained to us. We're turning away from what we had going for us. We're turning away from what made us look good, if that was how you thought of your life. 
We're turning away from all other ways of being important. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he looked at his religious performance, when he looked at his religious uh, zeal, when he looked at his religious accomplishments. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Philippians 3.9, And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, as if I could achieve it, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So, let me ask just a few questions as we think about this. And First of all, what's the big deal about justification? What's the big deal about justification? Um, short answer, it's the gospel. That's a big deal. Justification is the gospel. In fact, it will really be the the entire theme of the book of Romans, the the need for justification, Romans 1, 2, and 3. The truth that justification by faith is not a New Testament idea. Paul, where did you come up with this? Actually, it's an Old Testament idea, Romans 4. Abraham and David, justified by faith. They're not justified by their righteousness. No way. So that's Romans 4. And then what are the implications of this justification? Romans 5, through the rest of the whole book, actually. In fact, one of the most beautiful statements about the implications of justification is peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. And then Paul goes through an excursion through sin and the law and how these things kind of threaten us and threaten our hope, threaten our assurance. And then Paul resoundingly comes back to the theme of hope in Romans 8.1. Therefore, all those who are in Christ Jesus, there, will be, there is no condemnation. And then Romans 8 is this marvelous, triumphant chapter of the implications of the truth that if God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans 1, 2, and 3, we've, we learn that God is against us if we would we would present ourselves as righteous in and of ourselves, or we would somehow uh, disregard this righteousness in Christ. Romans 1, 2, and 3, God is against us. But then in Romans 8, we find out by the simple faith, this transaction, this courthouse thing, by the simple transaction, God who was against us is now for us. And how, how will he who is for us not give us all things, is how Paul begins to describe it. And then he even says this. He says, in Romans 8, 29, 30, 31, if you like all those doctrinal theological ideas that God is predestined and he's called, and all those he called, he's justified, and all that he justified, and he even skips sanctification. He's all who justified, all he justified, what? He, starts with a G, he glorified. Anyone encouraged here? If you're, do you know what the answer is on that one? Everyone who is justified is going to be glorified. You're in, baby. You got it. Yeah, you, you should grow in holiness. Yeah, that's right. But your growth in holiness is not the foundation of your righteousness. It certainly would make sense if you, if, you, if you understood this justification. You might ask this, how can I not love this God? How can I not conform to his will? Look what he's done on my behalf. How can I not? So 
So what's the big deal about justification? It's the gospel. But then there's an interesting thing that the Apostle Paul says. It seems, he seems to be saying more than this. He seems to be saying that, the, that there's a life to be lived by faith. So that it's, it's certainly important that it's perhaps at 17 you turned in faith to Christ. That faith operated in the process of you being justified the transaction happened, that's, that's wonderful. But the Apostle Paul seems to be indicating there's much more to the living of our life, and that is that the just shall live by faith. That is, that faith is the active connection to the very power of the gospel. If you're not a Christian here today, We hope that in the preaching of God's word, we hope that the the demonstration of of God's love and God's God's love for sinners in Christ, we hope that you will hear the Savior call you and you will repent and you will believe. And oh, is he powerful to do that. But now, if you do that, we will rejoice and we will train you and help you and help you grow. We're here for you. But that now introduces you to the life of faith. The life of faith. Now, if you're new to to Trinity, I I don't know if I do this once a year or how often I do this, but I even kind of fool some of the regulars here. Let me ask you a trick question. And here's, here's how you can understand how you think about the Christian life, all right? And how I think about the Christian life. Let me ask you, let's say you're in a small group or a Bible study, and, you're, you know, and, and the, the leader says this to you. All right, so-and-so, what, what do you need to really get your Christian life up and running? What do you need to really get your Christian life up and running? And so now we sort of nervously think about our lack of Bible reading, Right? And you think, ah, I need to read my Bible more. So you say, I need to read my Bible more. Okay, good. And then another person says, well, I need to pray more. Another person says, you know, I don't know, I need to share Christ with this guy at work, and I just, I'm fearful, and I just, and we keep thinking about, I need to serve the church more, you know. And we keep thinking about what we ought to do, right? Now that, the whole thing's a trick question, so you know. What do you need to do to get your Christian life up and running? It's a trick question. Because the disciples in John 6 asked this question, essentially, of Jesus. Lord, what must we do to do the works of God? Doesn't that sound like a good question? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, you can certainly be busy. You can go to the temple and do lots of things. You can do a lot of things that would be busy work and things that would be look like activity that God would accept. And Jesus says the most unusual answer. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. John 6, 29. That's the work. Are you all ready for the work? Are you all ready to get working? Do you know, as often as I have used that in, in a one-on-one or small group settings, I've asked people, what is the one thing that you need to, you know, to do to really get your Christian life up and running? This indicates that the work of faith <laughs> is not on our radar. We love activity. Now, what does faith mean? Faith expressed, faith expressed is a turning away from all your resources. 
Faith expressed is a turning away from all your strengths. Faith expressed. Now, do you remember the delightful moment? Perhaps you can recall it when you trusted Christ. And what was a delightful moment? That faith was, was wonderful. And God proved to be faithful. The Apostle Paul is expressing that there is a life of faith and the just live by faith. Faith expresses confidence in God who loved me. Faith is now, as I live the Christian life, properly looking back to the foundation of my hope. I am not, as a pastor, justified by my church. Amen. I am not, you are not justified by your reputation at work, how people see you, how they approve of you or don't approve of you. This is not who you are. The work of faith is not necessarily easy. It can be difficult and hard to look away from your own resources. Things that you would say, I want this, I need this, I must have it. My life doesn't make any sense without this. And then to preach to yourself and say, but Jesus is actually who makes me beautiful. That is a difficult thing to do. It's a constant work. What is the big deal about justification? It's a reminder that Christ covers me, makes me beautiful, makes me peaceable, reminds me I'm loved, reminds me I'm justified, I'm delighted in, I'm forgiven, and I have hope. All those who he justifies, he glorifies. Let me ask another question. What is the vibe of a justification-soaked Christian? What's the vibe that someone who really believes this, that Jesus makes me beautiful, Well, I stop building my righteousness or okayness. There's a resting kind of vibe, a resting, right? And so let me uh, me give you a couple ideas here. I can have aspects about my life uh, that perhaps I'm not even proud of revealed to others. I can be free to expose sin in my life because no matter how bad it is in Jesus, I am justified. It's not about my performance. I can turn away from that. You see, what what the gospel is 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 an anchor to to your identity. It's, It's the true you. My anchor is not what people think of me, but it is in Christ. Now, that is a hard work, but that's the work of faith. No need for excuses, no need to defend, no need for boasting. I one time had a young man, 20-year-old, give me a critique of my preaching. How about that? You, uh, you military officers, you, how about a young officer who comes alongside and, you know, you've been doing this a while. and he, He's been doing this for a little while and he wants to give you some tips. You good with that? You able to receive that? 
Or maybe I could respond and say, you know, I've been preaching since the Nixon administration. <laughs> you know. I mean, so I've got longevity righteousness. You know what I'm saying? So I thought, I thought, oh, this is interesting. This poor, this poor kid. But I really wasn't thinking that in my heart. I was thinking in terms of, well, let's, let's think about this. What really makes me beautiful? My preaching? Interesting, isn't it? What really makes me beautiful? My theological accuracy. Right? It's really interesting how twisted this all becomes. And so, maybe a little child can correct me. It's possible. In other words, to live by faith means that nothing that comes my way is going to destroy me. Like this person's criticism at 20 years old is not going to define who I am as a preacher. So that's not the final word. And so, all right, let's listen in. Let's listen in. Let's be covered in this justification that you preach about. See, in that moment, what does faith do? Where does my faith run at that moment? Oh, my faith runs to my rhetorical skills. My faith runs this way. Are you catching how this is all, how the dynamic of this? In that moment, there's a transaction. When you are complaining about the providence of God, when you are unsure of, uh, uh, that you're being protected, when you're unsure that you're being guided, you're unsure who's running the universe, you're unsure your heart is running and you want to throw anchors into other places, you want to, you want to, you want to control things. If you're like me, this is the, the root of gossip, by the way. This is the root of slander. This is the root of where we are. We're trying to stop that pain because if, if I can just stop that pain by speaking poorly about them, I can stop that pain, stop what's going on. I can get back to my real life. But my life is not the summary of what people say about me. <laughs> is everyone catching the freedom of this? Your life is not the summary of your performance in your job. Your life is not the, of, of how well your life is going. Your life is none of that. You are free from these things. And so you can now move into this world and you can now serve because you have been justified. Paul is, we're not even into the book of Romans, we're barely into it. And he's saying, I want to tell you about the power that's at work in my life and I want to be at work in your lives. And he's talking about the doctrine of justification. And so there's a beautiful resting vibe, a resting vibe. I work, I, I, this is a, an area for me. Uh, the attacks of others, they hurt, but they don't destroy you. I'm in Christ. Is the real me an attacked one? Think about it. Is the real me can anyone really get to the real you? If you're in Christ, no one can get to that. No one. Do you see how this is power? Do you feel and do you sense it? Do you get the vibe of it, you see? Now you can lean in and you can move into difficult things. You can move into difficult situations. Paul shows up at a, Paul, Paul shows up at a church. Uh, we really were not inviting you. 
He's here. More bricks, more stones. And then there's this, not only uh, the vibe of, uh, of this uh, justification so Christian, it looks like this. It's, it's discovery and honesty. You know what? To admit that you need justification by Christ is to admit that you are messed up. Like really messed up. Like deep, deep, deep messed up. And so here's the deal. In progress in the Christian life, you're going to discover the deep pride, fear, unbelief. You're going to discover this onion of the flesh. It's going to be revealed to you. And at that point, you need your justification as desperately as you needed it the day you were converted because your pride is going to get the best of you, but you can freely admit it. And so you can say to someone, you don't have to even hedge the truth if, if, you, if you trust this person enough. If, if you were critical of someone or you were, you were unkind in your words, you don't have to soften it. You can actually say, yeah, I was actually trying to kill you with my words. <laughs> if you can talk to someone that honestly. It's not just a slip up. It's not just a, a, a in other words, you don't, have to, you don't have to polish it all up. There's one discipleship book that says uh, we were not impatient and we were not just struggling with impatience. We were on the throne. Do you see that? That subtle, oh, I'm just, I'm sorry, I was impatient with you. Now, go a little bit deeper. I was the king on a throne. I was like Zeus and I threw a lightning bolt at you. Now, if you want to see the honesty of a justified person, study the Apostle Paul. Just watch him. Watch his, watch his honesty. So there's a resting vibe. There's a, an honesty vibe. Now, what's the daily heart work? And then I'm, I'm done. What's the daily heart work? Check your anchors. Where am I anchoring my hope? Check your anchors. I, I'm putting my anchor in, in, in the hurts that others have have sent my way. I'm putting my anchor in, 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 a, in a life that I really want in life. I'm putting my anchor in, in an achievement I, I want to have. I'm putting my anchors. In other words, our hearts are so active. Our hearts are moving quick. It wouldn't surprise me if even in the, during this sermon, your heart has been like, oh, this is pretty good, but I found something better. Maybe, maybe it's lunch. <laughs> You, our hearts are like eager, we're quick, and we're impulsive, and we're impatient, and we're, we're searching, we're searching. You know what? Ted Tripp says that we are wired for glory. We're moving, we're moving, we're trying to find this glory. And so, what's the daily heart work? Faith, Lord, faith, help my faith to interpret my life. Your providence is not a threat to me. Look what your providence did for me. It brought Christ. I'm loved. I'm justified. I'm delighted in. I'm forgiven. Now, what does my day offer me? It offers me nothing that will destroy me. It offers nothing that will take me off your plan. What pain must I face? What disappointments? And shall I now turn to some idol to soothe me? 
work over the daily work. Oh, is this justification a big deal? Is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal? Keep working it. You and you alone. I'll come along and help you. Give me a call. Give me a text. I'm struggling with this. I'm with you. Feel free to call. Please. We're in this together. We have a common struggle against the flesh. The flesh does not want to be detected. Detected. It does not want to be known. And the idols of our hearts are hidden way deep down. And they are there. They are false saviors that promise soothing, but they do not really provide any real soothing. And we lay hold of Christ, and we cry out, and we're okay with being desperate. You see, if we were to cry out and say that the just shall live by faith, that's a cry of desperation, because faith has to have an object. Faith has to have the work of God on its behalf, and so I hope, I hope that you will communicate the vibe, even of desperation. It's okay. I need your intervention, Lord. And that cry of desperation is the vibe of faith. It's the vibe of dependence. It's not easy, but we're in this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus gives us righteousness. And we are clothed with his righteousness. Father, in that courthouse where he was condemned and we were set free. And we walked out and we discovered that you are no longer our judge, but you're our father. Father, for your loving covenant of grace. We are just watching Jesus do his work. We're just watching Jesus We are not participating. We're not coming alongside. We're not improving. We're not trying. We're just receiving. Father, thank you for this marvelous gospel. Nothing like it in the world. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.